Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SACS's Essay Today podcast. My name is Michelle Botcher, and I'm an associate professor at Clemson University, and I'm your host for this program. Today, I'm pleased to have California State San Marcos President Ellen Neufeld and University of Houston Victoria President Robert Glenn as part of our SACSA History Project series, along with my co-host for this episode, Dr. Tony Cawthon, Alumni Distinguished Professor of Education at Clemson and SACSA Executive Director. Ellen, Bob, and Tony, thank you for joining the podcast. Thank you for having us. This should be a good time, I think. Before we get into the work and the career stuff, would you mind each taking a turn and telling listeners a little bit about who you are outside of work? Hobbies, things you're reading, watching, listening to, whatever you would like to share. Ellen, why don't you go first? All right, well, for me, uh, outside of work, one of the, uh, the big things for me is uh, being able to, I. Uh, uh, see my mom she is uh she she lives near bob actually and so i try and go uh once a month to see her uh my dad passed away earlier this year and so to be close and connected to her and family is really important um i also you know love uh in the mornings are my time so uh, i work out with a trainer in the morning i have a dog that is horribly behaved but very loving and i like to walk him and go on adventures with my wonderful dog and right now i'm just getting to know the region where i live because i've been here three years and a lot of that was during COVID, and so there's so much to see in the area so i've just recently been to the san diego zoo and then uh, you know, up to uh, Temecula and wine country, and there's so much uh, adventure to be had in this area. So um, I will say I'm not the model of uh, work-life balance uh, and really never have been. So that's not the podcast for me as far as that. I've been a lot of time dedicated to being the president of Cal State San Marcos uh, as well, and uh, that is really fulfilling to me. Great. Thank you. How about you, Bob? Well, uh, contrary to Ellen, I'm a very firm believer in leaving the office at the office door. Uh, and some weeks are better than others. I mean, some, you know, when the school's opening or there's a crisis, you spend a lot of hours in the office. But I'm a firm believer that when you leave, you leave and you don't carry it with you on your shoulder because it just doesn't help you any. Uh, if you came to my office, uh, you would say I'm a big fan of Lincoln. Uh, particularly in, uh, in relation to his lessons on leadership, which I think are very powerful. Uh, so in terms of reading things like uh, Team of Rivals and um, Leadership in Turbulent Times by Doris Kern, Kearns Goodwin are excellent uh, studies in leadership. Uh, I just finished reading a book called Lincoln and the Fight for Peace, where it talks about Lincoln winning the Civil War, but uh, how the peace failed and why it failed, but then the lessons that were learned from that were applied in World War II for a successful peace. So, you know, I, I, I spent a lot of time reading about leadership and history, which I enjoy very much. If you came to my house, you'd see I'm an even bigger fan of Sherlock Holmes. So I spend a lot of time uh, reading mysteries. Uh, I do enjoy watching, uh, you know, I've, I've given up cable for streaming. So I stream all kinds of things from uh, Marvel um, uh, comics to uh, complicated mysteries with uh, plot twists and uh, interesting characters. And, and I enjoy being with my wife, Laurie. Uh, Ellen knows Laurie. Tony knows Laurie. Yeah. But she's, she's, just, uh, it's up, she's being considered for sainthood by the Catholic Church <laughs> for having to live with me for 44 years. Uh, and um, uh, we we enjoy getting out in Texas. You know, there are a lot of interesting things to see in Texas. Some of them are a little more interesting than others, but uh, we enjoy getting out and we really uh, are having a good time here in Texas. And I came back to Texas to be a little bit closer to my um, my dad, who is 95, will be 95 in just a couple of weeks. Uh, and if you can imagine me at 95 and multiply it by two, that would be dead. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Thank you. How about you, Tony? What's life outside of work like for you right now? 
You know, I'm doing better. Uh, I'm a lot like Ellen. Sometimes I struggle with the work-life balance, but I think I'm trying to do a little better this semester. Um, just got back from a vacation where I did not read email the entire time, which could be the first time ever for me. Um, I need to be more like Bob. Um, I usually, you know, take it with me. So we went to um, Glacier National Park. Um, anybody who knows me is surprised that I went there because I really don't do nature, but uh, I was able to get away. And so I'm working hard this semester to find that balance uh, with that. So I've gotten into making cards and that's been a nice diversion uh, to make cards and send to people um, in terms of that. So um, those are things right now that I'm really working on, I think, to try to find this balance. Uh, my new role as SAXA is making that a little bit harder because it's like a second job sometimes. <laughs> um, there have been moments I did question, why did I agree to do this? Um, but it's been a, it's a labor of love, but it's, 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 it's making that work-life balance a little harder because uh, I feel like I do a lot of that on the weekends and at night. All right. Well, let's, let's talk about the work part a little bit more. So um, would each of you mind sharing kind of, yeah, I, I am at this point now where people talk about their careers and everyone will get up and say, well, you know, my journey has been a little bit different. So I've just decided everybody's journey is their own and they're all a little bit different, but would you mind sharing with the listeners kind of How'd you start and how'd you find yourself where you are today? I guess I'm, I'm back on. I'm not sure, but I'm happy to advocate the starting uh, uh, to anybody else at some point if they'd like. Um, so for me, I, you know, um, I, I uh, first when I first graduated from college, I uh, started out as a department store trainee. I was a department store manager. And then um, when I uh, was getting my master's, um, you know, I went back to school to get my master's to thinking uh, I would, be, uh, you know, go into student affairs work, higher ed admin, and I couldn't get a job. So I became a crisis counselor and committed people for a living. So those two combinations uh, got me my first job finally in higher ed at UT Chattanooga. And, you know, the thing about that job was, um, uh, back a hundred years ago, it was really a throwback to the Dean of, a Dean of Woman's role. And uh, they were, um, uh, they had to hire a woman. So I was not as qualified as the others in the office, but they knew they had to hire a woman and they had failed to search. So they brought me into the search and they hired me. Uh, so that was really my uh, beginning journey. And a man that was in Saxa, the vice uh, chancellor there, Rocky, uh, Charles Rocky Reniason, he gave me my start and he took a chance on me. Um, and another uh, person that was very involved in, in SACSA, the AVP there, uh, Richard McDougall, he um, uh, always told me that he advocated for me uh, not to get the job because he said we weren't selling shoes at the university and I'd been in retail. So, uh, but, but um, they both, uh, you know, really, helped me uh, advance as a professional. Rocky hired me, and when he retired, uh, Richard McDougall promoted me. And so at UT Chattanooga, I was the assistant dean and really had all the things that were all about females, conduct, cheerleaders, sororities, anything, you know, uh, um, I was a one-woman women's center with, with what we now call Title IX and grew into the dean of students and then AVP there. Um, so, so that was, you know, it, it, I have to always think that sometimes um, it's, you know, as you talk about, there's no normal, the twists and turns of that. I got a job that uh, really was, uh, they probably never intended for someone with as inexperienced as I was to have. And it was pretty lonely being the only female and to not have had the experiences that everybody else had and they knew it. Um, so so th at the same time, I had so many growth opportunities and I got my doctorate while I was there because Rocky walked into my office on the first day and told me I was enrolling in the program at the University of Tennessee. And at that time you could, it was brand new to be able to go to school on, you know, uh, uh, in Chattanooga and, you know, have the TV, it was delayed, you know, the delayed sound, but, uh, uh, back to Knoxville. Um, and then I commuted for the rest of my classes. And so I owe UTC so much. Um, 
I got to be a vice president at um, Salisbury University and then at Old Dominion University. And, you know, if we want to credit things along the journey, I have to, uh, I watched, I met while I was at UT Chattanooga, Bob Glenn, who was the vice president at MTSU. And I remember calling him for advice on the first uh, vice president's job, job I ever accepted. And he took the time to take my call and give me advice um, and uh, help me sort through what I was going to do next. Um, and that was so the power of the network and the power of SAXA uh, to, to have somebody to do that. And I remember, you know, watching people like Bob Glenn, who then went on to be president um, and seeing what the trajectory could be. And I remember Bob coming into a SAXA with vice presidents and asking who wants to be a president to the vice president. Now one of us raised our hands uh, and he started talking about what, you know, what that could mean uh, to move forward and to have that role. So I got to do some, just been a part of great universities, both at Salisbury and then at ODU. And at ODU, I got to build a new division that had, you know, the enrollment piece, the student affairs piece, student success, um, IR, government relations, media relations. So it was really kind of out of the box. So I have to really thank the people that helped me, both at President Salisbury and at ODU to help me land in this point um, three years ago at Cal State San Marcos. And here I got to come uh, much like uh, ODU in a very different way to a place that's really the focus of social mobility. And that's the type of university that I wanna be a part of, uh, that I choose to be a part of. Um, we've got to, in my mind, really create uh, what the goals are of higher education, and you hear that movement happening, but I got to start a social mobility center when I was at Old Dominion, and I think that probably had a hand in helping me have this opportunity um, because the California State University system was built on social mobility. Uh, it really codified into it. So when I learned about this campus um, that is over half our students are first generation, um, I, it was like winning the lottery to get to come here and be a part of this. Great, thank you. How about you, Bob? Uh, well, uh, my first job in student affairs was as uh, a hall director. Uh, I had uh, gone to college to become a doctor, a, a, a pediatrician, um, but um, I, I determined during my college years that that was not the path that was right for me. So I took a job as a hall director uh, while I was working on my master's degree in student personnel work at the University of Alabama. Um, and uh, they, they kept asking me to do stuff there. You know, would you do assignments? Uh, would you train the staff? And nine years later, I was associate director of student affairs and in charge of uh, half the territory. Now, let me just enter here a little warning to all those young professionals that are at uh, small private institutions. It's a double-edged sword to be at a small private. You get lots of good experience, but they will suck the life right out of you if you let them because you'll get responsible for everything. I was going out in the middle of the night to uh, deal with fraternity problems. And uh, you know, I would have faculty that had me come into their house where I could see the window rattling because of the fraternity party, you know, down the road. I mean, just, it, it's, it, it's a good experience. I uh, was at Birmingham Southern College, which is a great school uh, and uh, had a good experience, but I moved on from there to uh, North Alabama, then to Southwest Missouri State and then to Middle Tennessee. Um, something about having a school with the direction in the title seemed to appeal to me in some way. Uh, but I went to uh, North Alabama as director of student activities. Uh, then I went to uh, Southwest as dean of students and then the middle as vice president. Um, and I remember uh, at, at, at some point in time, my daughter uh, was talking to me and she said, who would have thought we would, that you'd end up doing what you're doing? And I said, you know, I, when I went into the profession, um, I, I knew that I, I wanted to be a, a leader. I mean, that's just kind of the way I look at the world. If you're going to go in, if you get jury duty, volunteer to be the foreman. 
you know, whatever you run into, just go ahead and uh, assert yourself if you, as you can. So the only thing I didn't know was where I'd end up. And I've been run out of a lot of places, uh, always ahead of the warrants, as, you know, so it's never really been too much of a problem. But up until the time that I was at Middle Tennessee, I, I, I typically said there's no way in hell I'd ever want to be a president. Uh, you know, it's just not my thing. I enjoy being with students. I enjoy my interactions with students. Taking care of students was my driving force. But by the time I got to middle and I was sitting at the executive level with the president and other vice presidents, I couldn't help but time to time thinking, well, you know, hell, I could do that. I could I could make that call. I could do that as well as anybody. Uh, and so I decided to take a limited look. And I um, saw the job at Athens State. Now, I, I knew Athens State because my great-grandfather had been president at Athens State University. He'd been president at Birmingham College and then at Athens State back when it was a Methodist college. Uh, now, being a president then wasn't necessarily a good gig. He had to sell property when he was at Birmingham Southern because as the president of a small private, you had to pay the faculty, you had to pay all the bills. And if there was anything left, that would be your salary. So he sold property uh, when he was at Birmingham College, which became Birmingham Southern. Uh, when he was at Athens, he had to sell a family farm. And uh, family legend has it that at that point in time, my great grandmother said, I, I, Mr. Glenn, I think it may be time for you to go back into the pulpit where at least people will bring you eggs. Mm -hmm. uh, so he did. But uh, Athens State is an upper division university in Alabama. Uh, it is a, a unique institution. Uh, it had a lot of challenges and I felt like I could make a contribution. So I, I, I gave it a shot. I was selected and we accomplished what I felt were like a number of very good things uh, while I was there. We were a part of the community college system and that was killing us. Uh, so I was able to talk us out of the system. I, I was able to get the chancellor and the board to say we could go to the legislature. Going to the legislature to get legislation passed is an experience in and of itself. Uh, but we managed to do it. And uh, things were going along okay. But I'm a very firm believer that, the, that I am a temporary resident in this chair. Uh, you have to, as I think, as a president, wrap your arm around a contradiction terms. And that is that it's all about you and that it has nothing to do with you. OK, if I can't go out in the front yard and, and, and my shorts and my T-shirt to get the paper because I'm the president, can't go down and grab a six pack of beer because Laurie's cousin's coming. It's always Laurie's people that are drinking. I just want to say that. Because uh, I'm the president, and sure as hell, I'm going to run into an alumni as I'm going through the checkout line. Um, but at the same time, it is not about you. It's about the faculty and their interactions with students and bringing those two groups together and watching good things happen and finding the support for that. Uh, and so I believe that there comes a point in time when you achieve as much change as we did there. Uh, you've had to make a lot of people unhappy with you. And so I just felt like I needed to move on to let somebody else come in and lead the institution to the next level. Uh, and this situation came up in uh, Texas. Uh, UHV is an Hispanic serving institution. It's a minority majority institution. 40% um, of our students are Hispanic, 30% are African-American, 70% of our students are women. 65% of our students are first generation. So uh, we provide a pathway for students, as, as Ellen mentioned, that wouldn't exist otherwise. So it's, it's really, I feel good about what we're able to do here. And hopefully we can achieve some change without pissing off so many people this time. We'll see what happens. So, you alluded to this a little bit in some of your earlier comments, uh, especially Ellen, when you were talking about kind of how you got into your role. We always talk about how small student affairs is. And just as a point of connection with people who are listening, who are some of those people for each of you who have 
you know, either mentored or guided or been those people that you've consulted as you've navigated, whether it's the presidency or other aspects of your career, who are some of those people for each of you? Well, I'll go first because uh, we're going to talk about the same person. <laughs> uh, when, when I think of Saxa, there are two faces that always come to mind instantly. One is Joe Buck, uh, who is, the, the, in my view, the soul of Saxa. He's the one, he's been the glue over the years. He's kept the organization together, he's kept it going, uh, and he's always believed in Saxa. And the other is Rocky Renison. Uh, Rocky Renison was a guy that would go around the conference saying, Alan, don't you need a new director of student activities? Have you met Tony Cawthon here? Because he's in the market. He's looking. Uh, the, the, when I went from Birmingham Southern to the University of North Alabama, it's because Rocky Renison introduced me to Dan Leisure, who was the VP there. Uh, and he was always promoting the profession. He was always promoting people interacting with one another. Uh, if I have a goal in life, it's to be more like Rocky Reniason. Uh, and that's why I don't mind taking calls. I don't mind writing letters of nominations. I don't mind uh, giving folks advice because uh, you do have to think pretty carefully about what it is you want to do. Uh, but I do it because Rocky uh, did it for me. And Joe has done it for me. And, I, and Saxa is full of people. Uh, that I don't hesitate to pick up the phone and say, you know, this is what's going on. What do you think? What would you do if it was you? You know, and I think we've got to have folks like that. Uh, if Ellen needed me, she knows she could pick up the phone. Uh, assuming it doesn't ring between midnight and 6 a.m., I'm going to pick it up. Uh, and the only reason I wouldn't pick it up otherwise is because my phone's on silent uh, during that period. Uh, but uh, if she needs me, I'm going to be there for her because she's my people. Uh, Saxa uh, is my people. Uh, there are people in there I don't even know. They're still my people, by God, and I'm going to take care of them best I can. Ellen, your turn to talk about Rocky. <laughs> I got it. And, and just, I uh, had a little technical difficulty, and the question was about Saxa or people in Saxa. Mentors. A, mentors. Yeah, who mentored you. Yeah. Um, you know, he's right. Uh, uh, he, he jumped in at the right time because we, he, we'd have the same fo uh, people uh, 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 on our mind. I, I think of, um, you know, the first mentor I had uh, was an undergrad at Tennessee Tech, Betty Salters, who um, uh, she, she was an unsung hero and she had been the Dean of Women there. And, uh, and she was someone that uh, you know helped me find in me what I I didn't know I had, and so she's the the first person I think of, and I think that's you know um, back in the day they said that's the uh, uh, you know when they would uh, do research that's why originally you know many of us went into student affairs as someone had helped us and we wanted to pay that forward, and then you know, Bob mentioned Rocky and I I would also put Richard McDougall. Uh, uh, and, and I think the thing about that with a mentor is they are both very unlikely mentors to me. Uh, they would have been unlikely mentors. Uh, uh, and um, I got to go back and thank both of them. And, you know, they passed away. And so the fact that I got to go back and look them in the eye and say thank you um, a few years ago um, meant everything. The fact that I got to call them and tell them um, that I was going to be the president here, even though you know Richard McDougall said, uh, you know, made some some sarcastic joke about it the moment I told him. I, you know, I knew uh, that he was proud. And Rocky, um, when I didn't know that Rocky was going to pass away, and one day not long before he passed away, I came in and the uh, person that uh, has the main phone line said there was a message from someone, but that was personal, and it was from Rocky. And he was just telling me on that phone line how proud he was of me. And I didn't really get it. Um, it you know, I, I didn't understand why he had called and left this message uh, at this random time. And then I found out not too long later that he had passed away. Um, and, you know, uh, Bob mentioned Joe Buck. Uh, he is, uh, I, I'm just, it just bears repeating, he is the heart and soul of Saxa. 
we wouldn't have this organization if it weren't for him. Um, and he's poured himself into it and into others. When we think about some of those people, um, you know, it, it is about how we pay it forward. I mean, that's the gift to me of what they've given to us. Uh, Bob has been true to me and what he just said that he's, he's picked up the phone when I've called um, and he, you know, helped me uh, both by watching him as well as talking to him, help me think about my career decisions and what is possible. Um, you know, uh, Tony has been a mentor to me and a sounding board. Uh, he and Deb and uh, Kladivko and I were presidents of SAXA three years in a row, and I was in, lucky enough to be in the middle between the two of them. And um, to, to learn from them uh, and, and uh, uh, be able to bounce things off of them was amazing. I even think of, or I think of Jane Adams Dunford, who uh, I've called throughout my career when there were situations on my campus that I didn't quite from my lens uh, professionally or what I, I worked with understood. And she was willing to let me be very vulnerable and very ignorant uh, and, um, and has been very honest with me. So, you know, the, the two presidents I worked for uh, at both Salisbury and Old Dominion, uh, I could still pick up the phone and call. So many, the, the thing about talking about mentors is, is the gratitude um, that so many people have had those small moments and large moments along the journey. And I couldn't agree with Bob more that it is about how to pay that forward. Uh, you know, I, I will, just like Bob, I, if it's um, uh, whether a, a young professional, a, a new professional, a mid-level, any, you know, I, I, I want to be a part of helping somebody else's journey because so many people were a part of mine. I, I would say that, you know, for people listening, um, I mentioned that some of my mentors would be unlikely. It didn't mean that I loved every moment we had together <laughs> or that. <laughs> or that I always agreed with everything that was said. And sometimes the lessons I learned didn't absorb right away <laughs> in the process. I have to own that. Uh, it, but it is about appreciating what they gave me uh, along the road and that they were willing to give that. If I could just make an observation about SACSA in general at this point, I, one of the things that I think makes SACSA unique and and with the exception of the pandemic and the birth of a couple of kids, I haven't missed a Saxon meeting since 1980. Uh, and even as a president, I've gone back to Saxon every year. And the reason for that is because it is a large family. Uh, when I see uh, Ellen at Saxon, I'll expect a hug. If I don't get it a certain amount of time, boy, she's going to hear about it. Um, <laughs> Because we're family. When I call her up, I say, hey, baby sister, what's going on? Uh, we're family. She's my people. Jane Adams Dunford, uh, Melissa Shivers, who's now the VP at The Ohio State. I'm still mm -hmm. a little boggled by any institution thing because it owns the damn letter <laughs> The. But we'll go into that at a different time. But it is, it is a unique organization because it's not a specialized organization. You've got everybody from chief student affairs officers all the way down to hall directors and graduate students. And all those folks interact and get to know one another. And, and not many of those folks put on airs. Uh, they all know that they're there uh, to learn and, and help one another. And you'll, you'll see people you know, going into the corner with resumes, people giving advice and uh, people making connections like Rocky Renison. Uh, did you know this guy's looking for a job? I think you've got a job like that. You might want to connect. I mean, that's just going on throughout. And, and you see people coming in and they're hugging one another and, and being excited about seeing each other. And, and, and sometimes it seems a bit extreme. Sometimes you think, gosh, I'd like a pound of whatever those people are smoking because it must be good stuff. Well, it's the Saxa stuff. Uh, Saxa is a giant family reunion of a group of people committed to other people, uh, which is what I, I, the reason I go back, even as a president. I mean, 
God help me if, if they ever find out I'm not going to many of the sessions because I don't need to know what's being done in a residence hall. But I need to interact with Ellen. I need to interact with Joe. I need to interact with Bill uh, uh, Bill McDonald from Georgia, that big yellow dog. Uh, I need those interactions to come back and deal with the piss ants I got to deal with. Now, don't don't give me that look, Ellen. <laughs> I, I know you got piss ants out there. And... Oh, you say it on the podcast. <laughs> Or she, she'll edit it out, she tells yeah. me. <laughs> so how did you get involved in SACSA to begin with? Like, did somebody bring you in or was it or a make you or force you to go? Yeah. For me, it was a complete accident. I, I'd gone to NASPA Region 3. And um, as, as I was coming into NASPA Region 3, I was seeing all these folks that were interacting because SACSA used to go first. Now they do it at the same time, but it used to be SACSA then NASPA. So I found out about SACSA accidentally. Uh, but once I found out about it, once I got involved, uh, I was hooked. Where were you at then, Bob? I was at Birmingham Southern. Because you were at Birmingham Southern, okay. Yeah. Mary Dudley Long and I went to uh, NASPA that year. Uh, now, Dudley never got as involved. Dudley was always more stay at the campus. But, uh, you know, once I got in and saw what was going on and saw the interactions, you know, I, I really felt pretty strongly that I could benefit from that. So, obviously, I was at, when I went to UTC, uh, you know, I was at a SACSA school. Um, and so somebody brought in a paper application, had me fill it out. <laughs> But I, 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 um, I had, yeah, it wasn't, we didn't go online and do it, uh, but I had a paper application. I filled it out. I didn't even know what I was filling out. Uh, and I went and Rocky sent me to the Mid-Managers Institute, which has kind, of, was, has kind of been where my passion for the volunteer of, uh, of uh, SACSA has been. I did, I did that. I was a junkie as a faculty member many years in a row, but I, I didn't get really involved in SACSA. And we had to rotate who could go where in conferences. So I couldn't even, you know, in the beginning, uh, uh, I, I wasn't uh, even able to quite attend. Um, but uh, I, as I got my feet and I got to start going, all of a sudden Saxa was coming to Chattanooga. And that's where I really, I'd been kind of on the, you know, just looking in, seeing what it was all about. But when that conference was coming, uh, they called then Richard McDougall and said, uh, we need a really uh, a good local person. And he probably said something like this. Well, I don't know if I have anybody really good, but you should work with Ellen Neufeld. You know, <laughs> probably made that. Uh, that would have been, I, I wasn't in the call, but that would be my guess. So uh, Lisa Bardell uh, was the uh, president and um, she and uh and, and Jane Adams Sanford was the local arrangements. And Bob, I think you were sponsors in exhibits. And uh, I was the local person. And we were like a quad of people uh, putting this conference together in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And it just gave me um, such a lens and such an insight. And that really solidified me uh, in the organization. So I didn't come up and start on committee A. I went, I went straight into local arrangements chair <laughs> just because of proximity. And it was so fortunate for me. And, and so I got to meet and connect uh, with so many people. And by, by the end of that experience and conference, you know, I was, I was all in for life. Uh, that, that, was, um, that was the thing. And, you know, something else I'll say there well, while that conference was there, you know, uh, Bob brought in the uh, sponsors and exhibits and Spellman and Johnson. It was Kate Johnson, I think it or Kate, Kate Johnson. Johnson that's right. Yep. Uh, she was there. And of course, I'm working. Bob was connecting these vendors with me. I, I got uh, I'm in fact, you know, the MTVU vendor took me out to lunch in New York when I went there. I mean, I got to know all the vendors and she uh, she, she was there. So she uh, uh, toward the end. She, she and I went and I brought my resume and she went through it with me and uh, worked with me the next year as I went on the journey to become a vice president and helped me do that. And that was from a SACSA conference. I learned about Old Dominion University and that job posting at a SACSA conference. Uh, 
Uh, and so that was not something that, you know, uh, I was necessarily looking for a second vice presidency at the time, but I learned about that opportunity uh, uh, while I was at the Saxa conference. So um, I, not only, you know, we talk about getting involved, but uh, even uh, when we think about the sponsors and exhibits, it's so much more, they just interact in the conference and are part of it and become like the colleagues in the conference. So, so those connections were really important too, but that, that really connected me in uh, and um, uh, eventually, uh, I became the uh, long after Bob, but I became the president of Saxa many years later, uh, which was really uh, probably one of the best uh, professional experiences I've had in my life. It was just such a great executive board and and uh, just a great. I was very lucky. It was a great time to be the president of Saxa. And you did a hell of a job too. Uh, back at you. <laughs> Yeah, my conference was the one we brought back to Texas, which yeah. apparently every 20 or 30 years we come to Texas. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they are part of the region. <laughs> We're like the redheaded stepchild. <laughs> uh, I, I like Texas now. Uh, when you think about uh, moving into that presidential, the positions you have now or have held as president, um, you know, kind of what what drew you to that? And you both talked about that a little bit. And I'm really interested in what from your student affairs experience yeah. has helped you navigate some of the issues that you have faced or that you're currently facing. Well, for me, uh, it was, uh, I got to a point where I wanted to be the one to make the call. Uh, I'd seen enough, I'd experienced enough, I'd seen, I learned a lot from good presidents, I learned even more from some of the crappy presidents uh, that I worked for, and I, I won't name names. Uh, it's best yeah. uh, well, fortunately, some of them are dead, so they wouldn't really matter too much. But at any rate, uh, I had learned um, enough about higher education that I wanted to have a chance to see if what I had learned made sense and could be done. Now, you know, all of those uh, VPs out there that may be listening to this and may be thinking about uh, dipping their toe in, you need to understand that there are some obstacles that you will naturally come up against. Number one uh, will be that every um, search committee will have a lot of faculty on it. And faculty are under the impression that only someone who's been a faculty member can be a president. Mm -hmm. Even though nothing about being a faculty member has anything to do with anything that occurs while you're president. Uh, but there is a very strong sense that, that if you haven't taught, then you really are, are not quite ready. If, however, the search committee is predominated by board members, what they're going to be looking for is business acumen. How, how can you run this place? Can you uh, get us out of the deficit spending into uh, a balanced budget? Uh, if, you go, if you're trying for a small private, uh, which has a lot of allure. I, I would really love to be the president of a small private and the institution I'm at now is something like that in that small enough that you can see your impact. You can see the effect that you're having on other people, good or bad. Um, but a small private is going to be mainly focused on how much money can you raise. Uh, and they'll be asking questions like, what's the largest gift you've ever asked for and received? Uh, and so uh, if you're out there and you're thinking about this, the kinds of things that you've got to do uh, on a practical basis to get, get into the room where you have a chance to make your case. Um, you're, going to have to, you're going to have to make sure your academic credentials are there. If you can teach, uh, you know, a lot, there are a lot of opportunities, particularly at universities to teach in the graduate program, that sort of thing. You should do that. If you have any chance to publish, you should publish. If you have any chance to engage in fundraising activities, uh, then you should do that. 
but more than anything else, you need to uh, do things that are unique to you, uh, projects and programs that show what you are capable of, of doing. When I went to Middle Tennessee as vice president, they were trying to get more students to come to the football games. Uh, they'd gone from Division One AA, for those that can remember that far back, to one a, uh, a Division One institution. They were supposed to have 30,000 minimum uh, attendance at football games. They've since done away with those kinds of things. But at the time, the president was very concerned. And quite frankly, uh, we were a part of a conference full of people that nobody knew about, nobody cared about. And if I'd stood at the student gate with $100 bills, I probably couldn't have attracted much of a crowd. Uh, but by the time we worked for seven years on a, on a plan that was progressive and so forth, you know, we were we were close to that 30,000 mark and we had tailgating going all day. And now uh, game days at Middle Tennessee are a big deal. They're they're an all day event. So you've got to be able to point to that. When I went to Athens State, uh, we were able to develop a very unique partnership with Calhoun Community College to build an, uh, uh, an arts campus in downtown Decatur. You know, you've got to be able to point to what you've done, because what they're going to want to hear about when you get there is what have you done so that they can decide whether or not you might be able to do that where you're going. Yeah, I think that that was said so well. I mean, when I think about the student affairs profession in general, I got here three years ago, seven months before we closed, or we didn't close, we went virtual for the pandemic. So think about crisis planning. And, you know, I had planned for, I've been at two universities where I planned for hurricanes, uh, you know, uh, where, you know, I, I, I sat at the table uh, and, many times led the table in emergency planning. So, you know, I had, I had a background there uh, from student affairs that every president wouldn't have. Now, a pandemic was a little bit more than planning for a hurricane. So I don't mean to say that I, I knew it all, but there were some skills and tools in the toolbox that were really helpful. When we're talking about, um, you know, uh, issues and, and crises of the day and, and also, in the such important work uh, around social justice, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, uh, you know, really working to become anti-racist campuses, that's a, student affairs has led that work uh, long before campuses were thinking about it holistically uh, as a centerpiece. And that, uh, and, and so, so that, uh, you know, that, that experience working alongside uh, students and faculty on that work was so, has been so important and has really um, influenced how I lead and who I am as a president to have done that work. Um, the other thing I think Bob touched on it so well is, you know, what, what are the experiences that, that they're going to be looking for that can enhance your resume and what sets you apart? Um, you know, I, there are, um, and, and, and that, Two, I would say that are your passion. So I got to start a center for social mobility and that's a passion of mine. So, you know, that was, that's like, you know, winning a prize to be able to do that and to do that work. And then to be able to help that, to help advance uh, my career was, that's not why I did it, but boy, was, was that nice. Um, I would add one more piece to the skill set. Uh, obviously fundraising, teaching and uh, uh, publishing, yes. Um, enrollment. The the country, uh, public or private, if you're if we're at regional universities, especially if this is not we're not all feeling it the same way, uh, but but uh, the regional and 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 uh, mid and small level privates, th there's no way that a we haven't felt the effects of the pandemic uh, on who's coming and how we retain them, but also just what we're thinking about in, in terms of uh, you know the country, you know, in, in enrollment, like talk about the enrollment cliff in 25, 26, and for many has already come. So that's what's being discussed many times at a cabinet table, uh, and and everybody's in that discussion. Uh, and I, the president that I work for at Old Dominion, sometimes we would present together, and if we were presenting in front of student affairs colleagues, he would advise them to get at the table in enrollment, and at least be able to understand what they did when he teach class, understand what you do through it, the lens of enrollment. 
So every every job has something to do with enrollment, right? Um, and and I think the thing that uh, the other thing is it's about looking up uh, and and being able to see the bigger picture. Uh, that's whether you're going to for a vice presidency or presidency or an AVP. Can you look up and uh, see the bigger picture and how what you do fits in and and works across? That's going to be important if you ever interview for a presidential job is that you can step from the boundaries uh, uh, or the perceived boundaries of that role to looking broadly across the campus and connecting what you do with what the campus needs and where it's going. And student affairs right now, I think probably more than any other time, lends itself to that. Um, with what's been what's with what's key in our world right now, uh, with what our campuses need and where they're going, um, you know. So student affairs has definitely informed me. We just did our second annual new student convocation here this year, and our folks in student affairs and across the campus did a phenomenal job with it. Uh, and um, you know, I could. I, I could just see certain th th that coming to life on campus and it brought me right back to my student affairs roots and what we were doing for those students um, as, and their families as they were entering the university. And I would say that one of the things that I think really helps a student affairs person is that you are taught from the get-go in whatever position you're in to focus on the thing that is most important and that is the student. That's not something uh, that is taught to the faculty. It's not something that's taught to fundraisers. Uh, and, and as a result, their focus may be away from students on other kinds of issues. And if, if we take our eye off the ball, if, if we don't remember that the mark of a great university is the ability to take any student from where they are to where they need to be, which is a widely differing trail being on the students, some students all you have to do is crack open the door and then stay the hell out of their way. Other students need a lot of assistance, a lot of encouragement, uh, but you don't lower the bar, you just give them a boost and, and, and let them make it. But not everybody has that focus on the campus. And that's the focus in my view that makes an institution a great institution. Yeah, I think I'm struck by this conversation of, you know, as I think back on my 35, 39 years in higher ed, this trend of student affairs folks becoming presidents, because, uh, you know, that didn't happen in the first 20 years of my career. We never saw a student affairs person become president. Do you all think about that you're part of a trailblazer that is setting a path? Do you feel that pressure that you're representing a group that struggled to get to the table? Uh, in the president's role, or you know, do you talk to the other folks who were presidents who came from student affairs? Well, God help anybody that looks at me as a trailblazer. <laughs> but you are. That from, from I mean, you the are. There's about I can think about twenty people, and that's about it. You know, I I try to um, even like find opportunities for my colleagues from student affairs that are presidents to be a part of something, you know, if we're doing something or to be on panels or, or things of that nature. Cause I think to your point, you need to normalize that and see that more. And that's part of, um, you know, helping the next generation of presidents. But I think, I don't think of myself as a trailblazer, I, but I do think of Bob as a trailblazer. Uh, you know, as I, I had my eye and saw what he was able to do. Yeah. You were one of the, he was one of the first I saw become a president that I knew. Well, I appreciate that, but it was just pure dumb blind luck. <laughs> but I will tell you that I tell uh, vice presidents of student affairs all the time, you want to be a president? Uh, well, I'm here to tell you, if I can be a president, by God, anybody can be a president. So let me help you do that. Let me write that letter of nomination for you. And, you know, because as a president, I know this is true for Ellen as well. You get stuff all the time from headhunters. This institution's yep. looking, that institution's looking. I'm, I'm, I'm here to tell you, I can write a hell of a letter. I can make you sound uh, like you're six feet tall and trim and, and can walk on water if I have to. I never 
stretch it that much, but uh, you know, I, I know how to help people and I, I'm ready to do it. You know, I, uh, Ellen mentioned my going into a meeting saying who wants to be there. I, and, and I've said this before, if you want to be a, a president, I will help you in any way that I can. Uh, and, and I would say to any vice president for student affairs, find somebody uh, and start working on it. Uh, there, again, there are two, three things I, I look at. Look at your vida. Don't make it ponderous. Okay, I've been on, I, for whatever reason, I, I led the search for, I was the chair of the search committee for the University of Houston downtown, and then later for the University of Houston Clear Lake, where Richard Walker, a student affairs guy, has just been selected as the president there. Uh, and I, you know, I think there are some things that are important. How you present yourself on paper, how you present yourself um, in an interview. You know, I saw a number of candidates that everybody loved on paper, and then they, they got up on the virtual interview and just shot themselves in one foot, then took out the gun and shot the other foot. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're, and maybe Ellen, what we need to do is we just need to start a, a standing sex um, uh, session on, you know, so you want to be a president, talk to us. That's a good idea. Because yeah, it's not normalized. I don't think it's normalized yet. I think we're getting there, but it's still not normalized. And I like that word, Ellen, to, to make it, it's a normal search path that you could do. Yeah, I, I would agree. What's the best part of your job? What are those moments that you're like, oh, yeah, this is, this is what keeps me going. What do you love about the work? You know, I love commencement. Commencement to me uh, is the funnest thing I do. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, because you get to see the students make it. And, you know, I, I, I tell you, every year I, I stand up after I've conferred the degrees and they're about to come forward and I say, now let me talk to the, the families in the room. Uh, because this is an important time in your graduate's life and they're about to walk across this stage. And it's been my experience over many years that some low down yellow dog in this room is going to want to whistle or hit a horn or make a lot of noise. And I just want you to know that is perfectly all right. Because this is a joyous occasion. So you raise all the ruckus you want when your graduates announced. And then when they're standing next to me and they shake my hand, they start to walk away, then you hush up. Because uh, the next person's about to come on, you don't want to shout over. And, and you know that sets the tone and and they dance across the stage they they're, they're lifting the roof <laughs> they've got stuff on their mortar board i mean it's all fabulous to me uh that and typically uh, opening of year convocations are the times that that i really enjoy the most and of course going to a fractious uh, faculty meeting is probably just right up there <laughs> i I couldn't agree more, you know, and I couldn't agree more about make make the noise. Uh, you know, um, babies come across <clears throat> our with their mothers. Uh, you know, um, uh, it, it's uh, uh, and sometimes fathers. Uh, it's it's just um, grad the first time I got to say, I confer upon each of you <laughs> the degree of whatever it is with all the rights, honors, and privileges there too. Yeah. That was a moment that uh, took a hold of me uh, that I will never, ever forget to be able to do that. And I had to wait two years because <laughs> first year we didn't have a, we didn't have a, a we had a car parade. You had, a drive, you had a drive car parade. Did you know? I had a drive through, but I love that too. Yeah. And convocation, our, our uh, families are given a challenge coin to present to their student and tell them their hopes and dreams for them for the future. It's like no convocation I've ever seen and not a dry in the house. But I also enjoy, I just got $91 million from the state of California to pay for two thirds of a housing uh, dining project on our campus. I'm working to fundraise for an integrated science and engineering building so we can build out our engineering program and expand biotech and life science. It, I, um, I actually love talking to donors about our students and what they can contribute and what they can be a part of 
with this special place and how they can change lives. Um, that, that, that's a, a high for me. Um, and, you know, and, uh, you know, as Bob said, I, it, I would never, and I think it's disingenuous to say this job is easy. Uh, and you don't want us to go through the difficult moments. Um, and, you know, the president is, a, um, you're the president. So it's, people don't always think of you as a human being. You are the president. So we, if we're upset about something or we want to see something, you know, we, we uh, misunderstand something or whatever it is, or the, the you know, uh, th that th there are just some amazing uh uh, also difficult moments, but it when you go back and you see those students walk across the stage, or you're told that you were ninth of ninth on a list for that affordable housing in the state of California, and they funded nine projects, so you know, and you made it in. Um, those are the moments. Those are the I don't play golf, but those are the hole in one that you just know this is worth it. It's the right place. It's the it's making a difference in lives. And um, you get to be a part of that. I will share with you that the most meaningful commencement I ever had had the smallest audience because we had a student uh, who was dying and she yeah. couldn't come to commencement. So the chairman of the board and I went to her home and I put on my regalia, conferred that degree. She died three days later. But yeah. I thought she was going to get that degree. You know what I'm struck by as I hear you all talk? I'm struck by the way you are as a college president was the way you were as SACSA president. Which ought to just make you hold your head. No, it, it doesn't. No, because Ellen was all about telling the SACSA story. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, you know, the, the things I hear you talk about now, you know, you both you didn't change when you became president, <laughs> you know? Uh, I don't know, I'm struck by that as I listen to you talk about the the joy that where you find your joy, you found it in the closing luncheon or banquet at the conference. And I don't know, it, it's, it's it, there's, a, there's an interesting segue there and a connection there. That's a great point. If you're not gonna get up every day and be who you are, they're going to see people see through that, right? Yeah, you can't so, maintain that kind of an illusion for very long. I that mean, would I, be, it would be a mirage. And, and there are ideas of what presidents are, and um, right. you know, not too long ago, the idea was that they weren't women, and so there is an idea of who presidents are, and um, to try and fake that or mold into that uh, would be disingenuous to the campus and the community. And one thing I learned from my daddy before I left the house was you talk to everybody the same, whether they own the floor or they clean the floor. That's so right. Their That's level. Comment. You don't talk down to them. You don't talk up to them. You talk to them straight person to person. And if you're able to do that, you'll be just fine. And always, always, always take care of the people who take care of you. That's exactly right. My, on my first day, I went to facilities. And, then, yeah. and that's who held up during the pandemic, right? Uh, yeah. when, when I was at Athens State, we would have the, the physical plant crew to the house and I would cook for them. Laurie would make homemade ice cream for them. Twice a year, we gave them homemade ice cream because they were the ones that were literally taking care of us. We lived in the president's home. They did everything that was there. Uh, so we were going to take care of them and they appreciated it. Take care of the people who take care of you. Is there anything that I should have asked or any final thoughts or Tony questions that that you can think of? I, I do want to be respectful of your time, but I also really like <laughs> hearing your story. So yeah, any any advice or any closing comments you would share? You know, I think one of the things I would tell folks is decide where you want to be and then be happy once you get there. Okay. I've, I've known folks that have been the director uh, of a program for 20, 30, 40 years, and they were right where they wanted to be. And that made them happy. 
And I've seen people who, you know, couldn't make it up the ladder, who were frustrated by that uh, and, and ate at it. Uh, so I think you have to decide what you're going to be, what you want to strive for, and and get after it and be happy once you get there. But wherever you are, your happiness is your own damn responsibility. Doesn't belong to anybody else. Doesn't belong to the faculty. Doesn't belong to the board. If you're going to be happy, it's because you decide you're going to be happy. Ain't nobody else going to make that choice for you. I think that's good life advice. Um, I think that is good life advice there. Um, I, I would, I would uh, just echo that there are no right or wrong answers, whether you pursue a presidency or, or you don't. Um, and th the other thing I would say is um, kind of picking up on that is, is that, um, you know, I think this is even when you're going to apply to be vice president or AVP, sometimes people say, well, what if I don't get it? Well, you probably won't. I, I, not the first time anyway. If, if you do, great. Uh, so you, you got to, that, that, that does not mean that you're bad or you're terrible or, 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 it, or, or that you didn't deserve it or that you weren't the most qualified. It means in that moment, in that time, it did not work out for you. And it gets more and more competitive on the journey. And I think you have to be patient because you're going to be told no about 10 times more often than you're told yes. I mean, before I went to Middle Tennessee, I had been rejected at Memphis State, at Austin P, at East Tennessee, and I thought I was snake bit. Uh, and I think it was one of those, you know, God protects fools and drunks. I didn't know how good I had it until I got to Middle Tennessee and saw these other places and realized I was in exactly the right place for them. So you've just got to be patient because when you're going through the, um, uh, the process, the search process, you know, uh, bear in mind that there are a hundred other folks that applied for that job. And, and if you're being in an interview, there are 10 other folks uh, who are at least as good as you are that are being looked at. So you just, you can't take, rejection personally. So as we wrap up, again, thank you so much for your time today. One last question for you. Um, and Tony would love to hear your perspective as well. What is something right now in work, life, the world that's inspiring joy and or hope for you? Uh, well, you can go on my Facebook page and you can see a picture of my eight-month-old grandbaby waving back at you. <laughs> Weaver Ellis Glenn in New York City. But now that's kind of the downside. He had to, <laughs> boy had to go and move to New York City before he <laughs> produced something that was uh, worth bouncing on my knee. Uh, but, uh, you know, my family has always been the greatest source of uh, balance and joy for me. Uh, you know, I enjoy being able to go to an antique store with Laurie and just walk about and see what we might find. Uh, again, I think you have to know where you want to be and, and, and get there and be happy with it. So it's, I think, I don't think of something grand. I think of the little moments. I think of uh, sitting out my back patio and looking over the beautiful landscape and realizing how fortunate I am. Or um, that uh, a former SGA president uh, from 20 years ago at UT Chattanooga had a conference in San Diego and came up here and we had dinner. And before we had dinner, we went over to see our version of the student government here and he chatted with the students. And uh, it brought me so much joy to see him. Uh, and I hadn't seen him since probably, maybe he graduated uh, to see him and to see how well he was doing. Um, so, uh, you know, it's about the little, little things every day. Some of what we talked about, you know, we think about the campus, the, the little, you know, a, a success of a student or something that really pays off or in, in uh, my personal life, it can be that small moment of quiet or, you know, catching up with a good friend. Yeah, I'm with you all on that. It's a combination of both. It's the little things and the big things. And Michelle, you were there for one of the little things earlier in the week. When we asked our incoming first-year class, how many of them were at Clemson because of it, they were encouraged by an alumni. Mm -hmm. 
And half of that room, half of the 24 people raised their hand and said they're at Clemson because an alumni said to them, go to Clemson. To me, that was powerful. Um, and it reminded me, maybe I've had some input and some uh, help with that um, uh, very much. So it's that little thing that just sort of gets you at the heart. And I wasn't, I wasn't expecting that to be so emotional when I didn't expect that medium to do it, to be honest with you, but at least half of them, you were there. And yeah. I think we were all taken back by that. It's yeah. that kind of moment to think this works, this worth it. It 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 is worth it, and it's worth the the payoff. Is is going to be uh, great. One more thing I would add is that one of the reasons that I enjoy helping folks with whatever it is they need help with, an application, a nomination, you know, whatever it is, is that when it works out for them, that's just a hell of a feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I sometimes will tell people that not only are they getting an award, but it's sort of mm -hmm. like I get a writing award too for, <laughs> for writing the nomination. So, yeah. but it is, I mean, to lift others up. I, I just think that's why so many of us maybe came here, but it's certainly why people stick around right. is because of the joy that brings. Well, thank you one more time. Um, to Presidents Newfelt and Glenn. Um, and as always, Tony, thank you for co-hosting and helping to foster the conversation today. Today's Essay Today podcast is brought to you by SAXA, and we thank them for their support. And as we close, <clears throat> I'd like to leave you with a quote. A leader takes people where, a leader takes people where they want to go, a great leader takes people where they don't necessarily want to go, but maybe ought to be. And that is from Rosalind Carter. My name is Michelle Botcher, and it has been a pleasure to host this episode. Have a beautiful day. <laughs>